Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast, where we travel around and interview different fishing captains and other industry leaders to listen to stories, glean some wisdom, and of course, talk about fishing and the outdoors. In today's episode, we sit down with Vaughn Cochran, the creator of the iconic Black Fly brand. Vaughn has lived an interesting life filled with art, music, fishing, and hospitality. In this episode, we talk about his career as an artist. We also discuss the early days of the Keys in the 1970s, playing music with Jimmy Buffett, guiding, chasing permit, and a whole slew of other topics. Vaughn is an incredible artist and outdoorsman, and I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. To learn more about Vaughn and to see some photos from our trip, head to captainscollective.com and check out the post. We hope that you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective. Success is a gift. Excellence is the only thing to strive for. Uh, he, 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 right. tried he tried to eat it. He tried to eat it. Hit him, hit him, hit him, hit him. He got him. He's on uh, Two butt caps off the rods, filled them with tequila. We took a shot and out we went. There, there ain't no getting into it after that. It's, you're, you're hooked. It's a bad habit. And all the time, Flip's he's standing there ready to go for a tarpon. And he turned around, he says, you talk so much, you're like a senator. Awesome. Hey, Vaughn, thanks for joining us today and making time for the podcast. It's my pleasure. The first question I'd love to hear is just how you got onto the water. The, uh, well, I grew up in, in St. Augustine, Florida. And uh, my first memory of being a human being is fishing with my dad. So, uh, you know, and I, that, that never stopped. He would take me to the beach. We'd go uh, fishing for redfish at night. And uh, we would stay out there sometimes all night and we'd just sleep on the beach. And he let me drink a beer every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> what kind? Do you remember? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I, all I knew was a beer. <laughs> yeah. And, and so as a kid, how old were you when, when that was? Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, six. Okay. <laughs> you know. and, and for you, was it something that you instantly connected with? Uh, I, I think so, just because my dad, you know, did it mm-hmm. all, all the time. He built a, uh, he built a couple of boats, uh, you know, like just fishing skiff-type boats mm-hmm. uh, on our front porch. Wow. And I would help him, you know, do that and. You know, he was a, he was a, he was an artist, but uh, not in the way that I'm an artist. But mm-hmm. he, he just had a, a feeling for how things went together, and he, he was good with his hands and you know that sort of stuff. To you, is there always a connection between the outdoors and art? Uh, I, you know, went to art school. In fact, I, well, it started off as I was the kid that always drew in the margins of my books and mm-hmm. got in trouble for doodling. For that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's something that I kind of always did. And then growing up in St. Augustine, which was a big arts community, I mean, all the people that I knew were artists in some way, shape or form, you know, um, um, you know, glass artists, potters painters batik you know all that sort of stuff and those are kind of the people that came into my my little world and and i thought wow that that's a that would be a cool thing to do to you know be able to make stuff Mm -hmm. and uh and and that would be my life and i i never dreamed that you know i never even thought about Oh well, what about a four hundred one k? Yeah, what's a four hundred one k? Exactly, is that a car or what? Four hundred and one thousand dollars. That sounds right. great. Yeah, yeah. So, what was your middle school and high school years like in that area, in the St. Augustine area? Well, I have to say that uh, it was it was interesting because the St. Augustine was such a little town. You know, I think at that time the the uh, the amount of people that lived in the entire county was less than a hundred thousand. I mean, like way less than a hundred thousand. And uh, you could ride your bike to the beach. I remember my parents would uh, uh, take me, uh, take me, drop me off at the San Augustine Beach Pier in the morning, and come pick me up in the afternoon when they got <laughs> off work. <laughs> and I stayed there all day and yeah. fished. They gave me, you know, there was a little restaurant out on the pier at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I had enough money to go eat lunch and everything. But I was I was there. I knew everybody on the pier and, you know, mm-hmm. fished. And 
What else? Great, great way to spend a summer day. When did you decide that art was something that you wanted to pursue very seriously and potentially as a career? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, as I, as I, uh, you know, started going to, to art school and stuff like that, uh, uh, that, well, actually, even before that, hanging out with these people in St. Augustine, I started going to art shows, you know, just to help out other artists. And mm-hmm. uh, I know the big one we used to go to was the Winter Park Art Show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's, gosh, it's in its 60th year or something right mm-hmm. now. Uh, but, uh, but then, you know, as I started going to those shows and seeing what people did and their lifestyle, it was just, you know, it was attractive to me. And I think, well, this is, you know, I can do this. Did they have a lot of different type of lifestyles represented there? Was it mostly fishing outdoor? Was it? No, the, uh, those, uh, those shows were just pure art shows. I mean, you can go there today and see paintings for, you know, 60, 70 grand. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can buy a little a little uh, decorative weed pot they call them. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with weed. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you can you know get that for three dollars. Mm-hmm. So there's a full spectrum of, of of art objects there. As a kid, was there something that was your like an idol or an icon that you had in the art community that you looked up to that really spurred you on? No, I, there was a practical side in that observation in that I knew that if you were going to be an artist, it, you know, your chances of being like a big artist mm-hmm. were as much as your chances are of being in the NBA, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a few people make it. And, uh, so I tried to pick something that I thought I could actually make money at. And so I actually chose ceramics or pottery. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, okay, I can, I can do that because I can, you know, it's, it's a utilitarian item you know, everybody needs a coffee cup, you know, yeah. <laughs> a cereal bowl, you know, yeah. whatever, you know. So I started started off in the production pottery mode, and that's what I studied, you know, learning to throw uh, uh, pots on, on, a, on a wheel, a potter's mm-hmm. wheel. And, uh, and that's production. I studied with this guy in North Carolina, and uh, the first thing we did was we threw, uh, you had to throw 300 bowls exactly the same size mm-hmm. exactly the same size <laughs> and then what that's really hard to do <laughs> what did they do with the bowls well <laughs> it, i think it might have done five thousand to get 300 you know? yeah <laughs> so uh, yeah no they got torn up they just yeah. they went they're back a, into yeah. the yeah they went they're back at a pottery the, barn somewhere yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> no they're no they're in a they're in a clay pit somewhere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so you ended up going from saint augustine to usf right um, what was the transition like for you going from being a kid in St. Augustine, who at that time was a small town, you're riding your bike, to mm-hmm. going to Tampa, different scenario? How, how did that play out for you as, as an artist? Too? Well, there, there was an in-between time there. And I think, you know, having, you know, between artist and fisherman, there were times where I didn't fish very much and I did a lot of art. And there were other times I did a lot of art and didn't fish very mm-hmm. much. So, you know, when I was, uh, uh, after I, graduated from high school I went right into the army mm-hmm. every at that time there was no lottery your butt was going into yeah. somewhere you were going somewhere whether you liked it or not you know um, so I ended up doing that so I you know I came into the college experience uh, older than most of the people that were coming in as freshmen mm-hmm. and with a whole nother look uh, a whole nother way to look at the world you know yeah. it wasn't like going from my my bedroom to a dorm room you know mm-hmm. it was a whole different path there so uh, so for me when I, uh, uh, I actually ended up going to a junior college uh, very close to St. Augustine here and I got uh, my degree there and then I ended up then I transferred to University of South Florida. And for me it seems like and I think this is probably most people's um, kind of blanket thought or, or misconception maybe about going and doing an art degree mm-hmm. is that it's there's probably not very many people there that are outdoorsmen or outdoorswomen you know just people I, I would think that even having that background would seem unique did you ever feel that way did was that something you ever picked up on or no you know uh, I had friends that I went to school with and um, they uh, they were in other areas of 
of uh, study, and but they were all outdoorsmen. Um, they fished and hunted, and you know it, they weren't necessarily artists. I mean, it, I I, th- I think as in you know now even and in life, you know when you make a connection with somebody that you have a similar like, mm-hmm. you know you gravitate toward those people because you got something to talk about you know mm-hmm. there's some interest there it's like it's like uh i don't know you're standing in a crowd or you're sitting on an airplane or something like that and you're talking to somebody oh you know yeah you do this uh, oh okay yeah well i see people all the time with the black fly and we'll talk about that like yeah. the sticker you know right. or i'll see them wearing a skinny water culture shirt or something with a fly rod and reel on it all right it's become so popular that doesn't necessarily mean that they fly fish or correct anything but it usually is a, a conversation starter i'll tell you an interesting story about that that fly thing when i had the store i had a store my original store was in st augustine and, and a lady was in there and we were kind of on the tourist shopping path mm-hmm. you know and a lady was in there, and she was looking at one of the shirts, and it had the fly embroidered on it. And, and I said, you know, hello. She said, uh, I'm interested in the shirt, but I, I, you know, I'm not a fly fisherman. I, I you know, I, I don't know. And I said, well, I said, how many people you think played polo? <laughs> <laughs> she said, oh yeah, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> that's a yeah, that's a great parallel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, so uh, just because it has an image on it doesn't necessarily mean, you yeah. know, that speaks to your lifestyle. Absolutely. And I know there was a season in your life, too, where you guided. Yes. What, what, how did you get into that? Well, um, I had, you know, when I moved to Key West, I mean, I was doing artwork. I built a studio, and I had a, I had a retail store right on uh, on Duval Street, and uh but everybody, everybody in Key West fishes, mm-hmm. you know, either part-time or full-time. So, and since I'd grown up fishing, it was an easy, you know, this mm-hmm. was easy for me. This is the greatest fishing in the world. So, uh, so I, um, uh, you know, started learning my way around. And I, I tell you, the tough thing about the Keys is that there's so many places to go. And they're not easy to get to unless you're going offshore. You're going straight out the channel into the deep mm-hmm. water. But if you're doing anything else, uh, there's a lot to learn. And uh, and I was fortunate enough to have a uh, my brother-in-law was a commercial crabber and lobster guy and fisherman, and you know, he did everything. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I worked with him uh, a, a lot actually in the beginning. And uh, so I learned my way around the flats and how to get from point A to point B to point C and point D, mm-hmm. you know, from him, just from, you know, just from pulling traps and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, so then, I mean, I already knew how to fish. So it was just a matter, you know, how the hell do you get over there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially before GPS and Google oh, yeah, Earth no. and all that. You know, the, the, uh, I remember the uh, Coast Guard decided that, uh, that, that there wouldn't be as many people back in the back country if you pulled out the channel markers mm-hmm. i'm thinking well that's really smart yeah <laughs> so people were they weren't in the channels anymore mm-hmm. they were going all over the place so they were you know now there's prop scars all over the flats because people don't know where they're going yeah you know it was a mess i don't know, I don't know what the thinking was behind that <laughs> did, did you have any other so you did art and you did guiding did you have any other jobs too along the way well, I mean, I just, like I said, my brother-in-law was a commercial fisherman, mm-hmm. so I worked, you know, with him. Uh, but, I, you know, I still was doing art. I, I ran across a piece of art that I did. Uh, it was a pencil drawing, and uh, this was this pencil drawing was probably 48 inches by 36 inches. And uh, a pencil drawing that big is no small undertaking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I did, too. Uh, I sold one of those paintings to Dan Gerber, who was the uh, Gerber baby food guy. Mm-hmm. And the other painting I sold to a local restaurateur. And I was so happy to get $75 for that pencil. I mean, it took me forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was happy to get $75 for it. <laughs> I'm sure it's so, worth a lot more now. Yeah, it's yeah. Co- a couple of more dollars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, a lot of the guests that we've had so far seem to be laser focused in kind of one lane, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's a progression in their life where maybe even when they start with guiding, they start fishing, they can't, uh, do it full time. But as soon as they can get into full time guiding, Mm -hmm. you know, they just kind of stick there and they try to put as much time, energy and focus as possible. But 
and I'm sure that's the same for art and other things, but it seems to me like as I was researching for this podcast that you have a lot of different lanes that you like to, to run in, whether it be music right. or arts, you know, as far as the, the painting, drawing, sketching, ceramics, fishing. Could you just tell me, have you always been that way? Why not just pick one lane? Was that a thought process for you or? I think it's good I'm, because I'm bored easily. Uh-huh. <laughs> And I'm always trying new things. I was telling somebody the other day about uh, tying flies. You know mm-hmm. that uh, that I I could I cannot tie the same fly twice. I just can't do it for some reason yeah. or other. I would be a terrible production fly guy. You know, so well I put some green here. Well, this one needs a little red. And, you mm-hmm. know, they just keep progressing, and uh, it's just hard to tie the same one. So, uh, but I've always enjoyed doing a lot of different things. And you mentioned music, and I did. I did do that, and I started playing music uh, when I lived in St. Augustine, like a long mm-hmm. time ago. And uh, I uh, uh, had been, you know, playing, and then I had an opportunity to join a band because their washboard player got uh, transferred out of the in the Navy to another place. So, and uh, it's one of the best bands I was ever in, other than when I played with Jimmy Buffett, but. This band was called the Hydraulic Banana Jug and String Band and Kazoo Ensemble. And was there a short name for it or no? No, no, no. That was it. <laughs> All true fans know. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it, the the band membership varied between three and 13, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was whoever was available. And we, we traveled. Uh, we had a 1927 American LaFrance fire truck. And we traveled on that fire truck wherever we went, rain or shine, you wow. know. <laughs> and so we would arrive at a venue and everybody sitting on top of the fire truck with your instruments and everything. It, it was a whole lot of fun. We had a great, great time doing it. So. And, and I think that in some people's mindset, you know, to have a bunch of different irons in the fire, a bunch of different interests or hobbies or passions or whatever word you want to use could, you know, kind of go into that phrase of jack of all trades. But what I've seen with some of the guests is that, that that do have a couple different interests is that they seem to actually sharpen each other. Did you feel that way? Did you feel like your music made you a better painter and or, or not? No. No. I, I didn't. I, I uh, you know, it's kind of like a horse race when you, you know, you, you, you've, you've bet on all eight horses, right? And so... Uh, at one point, one of the horses starts to pull away. So you you know you you take your interest away from the ones that are falling behind, and you say, okay, I'm going to throw my effort into this lead guy, and that horse is doing really good, and then he starts to fade, and another one comes up. So oh, okay, I'll switch to this, you know, yeah. and uh, and so I think that's kind of what I've done, mm-hmm. uh, uh, having uh, you know changed my focus. Uh, depending on what was interesting to me or what developed you know somebody mm-hmm. says oh hey i'm i'm gonna make you famous as a t-shirt artist you go okay well, you sign mm-hmm. a contract and and then you go with that for a while and then you know really you don't have the backing that guy harvey has mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you don't make 40 million dollars a year on t-shirts like he mm-hmm. does you know so uh so you know it's kind of uh, and i did that for a long time and now i think i'm probably more invested in the artwork mm-hmm. um you know and and i've said this i'm so lucky to when i was guiding um that you know if there was a, a bad weather day well i just i just painted you know mm-hmm. worked on my artwork or something like that and then when it was time for me to, to you know get off the back of the boat mm-hmm. uh, i had some place to go mm-hmm. uh, i have a friend who's he's like two years younger than me and uh you know he's 70 what two something like that and uh but he's still guiding and he has to he has nothing else to fall back on mm-hmm. you know i mean he was a great bartender at one time i mm-hmm. guess he could go back to doing that but you know you got to find a place to go work you know yeah uh so so I've, I've always considered myself to be very lucky that i had something to fall back on and, and I don't see it as falling back on something, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just seeing I'm switching my focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, and, and, uh, so, and I'm a better artist now than I was, you know, then and it's, it's that old joke. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? It's practice, practice, practice. <laughs> so. so you, I like your illustration about, you know, different horses over the years. What have been some of the, the main horses that have kind of broke off at different points in your life? 
Well, I think, you know, different business opportunities and things that have come along because of my art. I mean, the whole Blackfly brand is focused around the art. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I designed, all, I designed the logo for one. And then, uh, you know, the, all the T-shirts and then I sell paintings and this and that and the other. So it's just uh, um, that's probably been the horse that I've rode the most mm-hmm. <laughs> on this. But um, the music thing was was uh, was a lot of fun and I re- really enjoyed it. And I still have an imaginary band mm-hmm. and an imaginary playlist. <laughs> You know, I heard that. <laughs> so uh, Chase Hancock told me that you still sometimes frequent a, a live gig or two. Yeah, every once in a while. Yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Chaz Leary, who's a great washboard player who lives in New Orleans, and and uh, if you've ever seen those, um, I think they're on mostly Facebook. It's called Playing for Change, mm-hmm. or they have musicians from all over the world playing the same song. Mm-hmm. Well, he has. Uh, we were speaking the other day, and we were talking about maybe doing a, uh, uh, doing a like two washboards together mm-hmm. uh, on one of these playing for change things. I mean, everybody in the world's been on these things, and they're really, really great. If you if you haven't ever seen, just mm-hmm. go to Facebook and type in playing for change. There's so much good music there. It's mm-hmm. really, really fun to, fun to do. So anyway, we're, you know, we're thinking about doing that. So you know, I'm still. Yeah, I'm still I'm still looking around. Yeah, there's know? still yeah. you have a couple of horses. Yes, absolutely know, going on. Absolutely. Um, and, and I'd also love to hear about, and and you already kind of alluded to this, but your connection with Jimmy Buffett back in the yeah. Keys. Yeah, the um, uh, having been in Key West in the early years, I mean, there it was really there were no stores on Duval Street except for the first couple of blocks. Uh, it was the Navy had just pulled out, and so there were tons of empty stores along there summertime in key west was literally you could lay in duval street mm-hmm. <laughs> and not worry about getting run over by a car you know it was imagine. i mean yeah. it was it was incredible it was crazy it really was and uh so um i was uh there was this famous bar there called the chart room you might have heard of it that it's in key west and i think jimmy talks about it's just in one of his songs i don't know which one but uh so anyway, I was in the bar one night. We were we used to go there and play music and drink and all that sort of stuff. It's a little tiny bar. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it actually, it was originally a hotel room, mm-hmm. so you can imagine the size of it. it wasn't that big, but they turned it into a bar. And so I was in there with Jerry Jeff Walker and a couple of other people like that. And uh, Jimmy called uh, Jerry Jeff, and the, his gig got canceled in Miami. So he, they said, "Well, we're down here," you know. So they ended up coming down there so so the first night jimmy ever came to key west was he walked into this bar scene with all of us playing music and everything yeah and uh so it was uh it was kind of fun and then uh uh, jimmy lived at my house for a while short Mm -hmm. while uh and um you know i started playing music and then he got an offer to do it he had just done the first album of a white sport coat and a pink crustacean Mm-hmm. And uh, so I toured that first album. Oh, it's wow. first time I'd ever been to New York, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, and I somebody sent me the little blurb, the review of that show uh, that we did. We played at uh, the famous Max's Kansas City, you know, where Andy Warhol used to go there and all these other famous people. It was a, it was a little small club, but it was, you know, like at the top of the list of mm-hmm. places you need to be in New York City. And uh, so, uh, and, and and it talked about, uh, you know, we were we were we were there with uh, the other musician was there was Andy Pratt, mm-hmm. and at the time he was a rising star, and Jimmy was kind of, you know, nobody really knew. I mean, there were there were uh, there were some girls that that you know you go to these clubs, yeah, you know, yeah, and, he had a following, yeah, and. Uh, and they said, what kind of music do you play? And we all three looked at each other and went, uh, <laughs> I, don't know, well, I don't know, tropical rock? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> tropical rock. I like that. That might be a, 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 the, the new title for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so anyway, but, uh, but that was a short-lived career mm-hmm. for me. And uh, so, but, you know, I play other things than the washboard, but, yeah. but that's what, uh, you know, that's what I started off playing in the Hydraulic Banana Band. So. Yeah. So looking back at your time in music time you know your art career your guiding career is is there uh, a most 
proud accomplishment with all of that that maybe people wouldn't expect? Mm. Um, or a favorite piece of art, maybe? You know, the, my favorite piece of art is usually the last one I did. <laughs> That's a good uh, feeling. I've, I've had a few things that, that outstanding. I mean, you know, in an art career, there's paintings or sculptures or whatever uh, that are kind of milestone paintings where you've taken a, a new step in a new direction and you've, you've surpassed your, your, the last pinnacle, mm -hmm. you know. And I have a few of those. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 again, like we were speaking just a few minutes ago, um, uh, I've been able to move from one to the other to the other mm -hmm. and then back and, you know, I jump around to these different different things that uh, that I'm interested in or I have the time for, mm -hmm. uh, you know. But, but I, you know, I could, you know, do artwork in the daytime and go play music at night. Mm. You know, that was easy. Yeah. <laughs> So I read recently that you described some of your newer work as pop style. Well, actually, that was some of my original work because okay. that, that's the that's the era that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. You know, that was those those were my um, uh, those were my idols. Uh, mm -hmm. Certainly, Andy Warhol, uh, uh, and I loved his use of color and his commercial and you know the whole term pop. Uh, is uh, not because of the popping, mm -hmm. the, the colors pop. It was mm -hmm. it, the pop refers to popular. Mm -hmm. So it was popular art that mm -hmm. got shortened to pop art, you know. So and he was able to take the, uh, take the, you know, like everyday items like a Campbell soup can mm -hmm. and and present it in a different way. So so you had to address it as art, whether you liked it or not. It mm -hmm. still was art and. Uh, and so what I did was I, you know, became interested. And I've always had fished, you know. So mm -hmm. I said, um, you know, I would uh, I would try and and take the images from the fishing world and turn that into my pop art. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, that's how that whole bright series that you probably have seen. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how that that whole thing started and uh and i did maybe one or two of those a year for mm -hmm. the past i don't know how many years and uh and somebody said somebody asked me the other day if i could if i would paint another one of those it's, i don't know if i could do that you know mm. i've moved on yeah you know your painting styles changes your interest changes and you know all that sort of stuff so i imagine i could do it but it probably wouldn't look like those original yeah you're not really in the zone or well, it's not that. It's just that I, you know, the, the paintings. My painting styles change. Of mm -hmm. course, that's what's supposed to happen. You know, you're supposed to get better. It's like being a musician. You don't want to. I think Elton John the other day said that he he didn't want to sing those old songs anymore. He's you know he mm -hmm. sung them five thousand times. He mm -hmm. doesn't you know, uh, but you know that's what people want to hear. So. Well, and that ties back to what you were saying about fly tying. Yeah. yeah, you don't like tying the same right. flight twice. You don't want to stay in the same style, right. the same same era. Yeah. What are some other maybe parallels that you see with fishing and art? Because it seems to me like there's, um, I think maybe with social media and the internet and different like small, I don't know if what's the right terminology, but maybe boutique brands or mm. brands that have a lot of great graphic art with fish and wildlife and that type of thing. There, there seems to be like a, a, a better bridge being built between art and the outdoor, the, the average outdoor enthusiast. What are some there, parallels you see? There, there, well, I'll tell you what, there's a bunch of really good artists out there mm -hmm. now. When I was, when I first started doing fish art, like we can mm -hmm. call it that, uh, there, there weren't that many people doing it. And, and, and I, I kind of think I'm, I don't know if I was the first, but I was in the first group of people that ever painted a half a fish, mm -hmm. you know, cause that just wasn't being done mm -hmm. you know and uh so i took all my all my skills and my thinking about art and transferred it into that whole fish world you know mm -hmm. so um uh, that was uh um uh, that was that was my challenge in a quote i also saw you say uh or i also read that you put i've always been an artist but i haven't always made my living at it in what ways has 
being able to make a living off of it or money influenced maybe negatively or positively your art? Uh, that quote uh, actually is is a longer quote. Okay. Uh, you just took the one sentence of it. See if I can remember it correctly. I, I, I've uh, always been an artist, but I haven't always made my living at it. Uh, I've always been a fisherman, but I haven't always been a fly fisherman. And I've always been a conservationist unless I didn't know any better. <laughs> That's the original quote. Okay. <laughs> I think I just got the, I'm not, I'm, I think maybe I read it on a website or an article, but I'll have to go look that up. Yeah. I like that second one better. Yeah. But in what ways has that progression impacted you in positive and maybe some negative ways? Have you found it hard to just fight the, to be that kid on the bike first getting into it all or? No, uh, I'm not sure how to answer that question. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I I just know that in, in uh, I don't want to sit on too long. I know that for some people who get into, maybe it's their fishing captain and they, they loved going out and finding fish and studying fish, but sometimes when it becomes a job or you become financially reliant on it, it adds stress and that can sometimes negatively impact it. You never felt any of that with... You know, that I mean, that's what we're kind of going back to the same mm-hmm. thing we've been talking about here is I never did the same thing twice. <laughs> <laughs> that's the secret, yeah. Yeah, it is for me anyway. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, uh, as as I was guiding and fishing, I mean, I loved, it. I loved guiding. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed seeing people have success on the water and, uh, and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. And then... You know, if I had a rainy day, boy, I was thrilled to be in my studio, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, and I still feel this, the same way. So, you know, I do bounce around a lot, but once I land on whatever it is that I'm landing on, yeah, uh, I'm very enthusiastic about it, you know, and I want to do it and I want to be involved in it. And, and uh, so it's still that, you know, which horse am I going to ride? You know, am I going to be on the lead horse? <laughs> uh-huh. And I know that you're also, you're not just a painter. You, do, you did some ceramics. I read that you used to carry a fo- like a camera with you and yep. in a journal you did sketch what's your favorite median of communicating art right now um well let me just put it in the general category of painting mm-hmm. uh, and then the subcategory would probably be oil painting uh, but i'm just getting ready to start on another piece that's probably um I'm going to call it a watercolor painting. A lot of times I'll use acrylic paints and thin them down to where they're watercolor consistency. And I'll use that and it wouldn't a combination of pencil and pen and ink. And, you know, I, I might throw some oil in there. It's just, you know, it never mattered to me in a purest sense how I got from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact that I got there. Yeah. You know, how I got there was not important. So, so uh, you know, if I uh, start out with a watercolor, I, I don't have any problem, mm-hmm. you know, it being turning into something else, you yeah. know, mixed media maybe, that's what you would call it. And that's what the original Black Fly that you designed, was that watercolor? That was, well, it was acrylic thinned down okay. to watercolor. What happened was um, I was living in Key West at the time, actually on, on uh, Kudjo Key is where my house was. And uh, I was, uh, my studio was upstairs, and uh, I was downstairs around my boat slip there, and I'd been working with a Sumi brush, which is that, you know, the bamboo brush that they Mm -hmm. use for calligraphy and that sort of stuff. And uh, and, and it just occurred to me, I said, wow, I wonder wonder what it would look like if I painted a fishing fly in this Japanese Sumi style. Mm-hmm. And so I went upstairs and mixed my ink and did all that stuff and and uh, and I started painting these flies and you know one fly led to the other and and uh, again I couldn't do two flies the same yeah, way yeah. right <laughs> back to that mode and uh, I just kept painting and painting and pretty soon I ran out of paper mm-hmm. and I got some grocery bags and cut them up and I started painting it. and this is like two sided I mean I was. It was, I don't know, it might have been the most productive day of painting in my whole life. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the day, I had painted, I don't know, 300 plies, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started sorting through them. You know, some of them were very similar, so there wasn't, there was not, not much degree between one and the other. And mm-hmm. I, I picked out about 10 that were totally different from each other that, you know, that I, that I thought were nice. And, 
and I had people, I started, you know, getting people to look at them, say, what do you think of these flies, you know, mm -hmm. which one would you pick? And, and I had one that I liked, uh, which actually wasn't the one that ended up being the black fly. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't know, I just wasn't thinking about it yeah. in the same way that everybody else saw it, you know. And so, but everybody ended up picking the one that now is, you know, the black fly. Mm -hmm. And uh, so once I had that established, then, you know, I, I wasn't trying to come up with a logo. I wasn't, that wasn't what I was trying to do at all. And it just ended up where somebody said, well, you need a logo. I said, well, I have this. They said, oh, that's great. Yeah. And there <laughs> so, you go. There I, you go. <laughs> and I was, did you pull out a bunch of flies out of a fly box and look at them? No. For inspiration? No. Nope. Just no. off your mind. Right. I just started painting and I just didn't stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you bring in a lot of people when you were in the Keys and you were kind of trying to figure out which one you thought was best? Did you bring in a lot of guys who were fly fishermen? Was it a mix of people? It was a mix, yeah. Uh, I didn't necessarily want mm -hmm. to be all fishermen because I, I, I was just looking for the appeal. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, fishermen are going to say, well, that, you know, that wouldn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Here's how I would do where it. Where yeah. a non-fisherman say, oh, I like those little feathers. <laughs> yeah. So. Was there anything when, when you originally, you didn't think it was going to be a, a logo, you said, but was there anything that you felt like it, that drew you to it or that it conveyed or symbolized? I think it was just purely the one I liked the best. Mm -hmm. What year was that? Do you oh, remember? Gosh. Ish. Uh, well, let's see. It's probably about 20 years ago, maybe, maybe okay. longer. Yeah. Was there a moment where you felt like, wow, this has the potential to really have some wheels on it and get out there? And what was yeah, that moment? Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, when I started, when I started, I had taken some of the other flies that I liked out of that group and came up with four flies. And my thinking was... Uh, if you present people with four different things that are similar mm -hmm. but different, it's human nature to like one over the other three. Mm. It just is. You're going to look at it and go, I really like that one. Mm -hmm. And everybody has, a, oh, I really like that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a different one for everybody. So uh, so I had these four flies. I had a uh, the black fly, then I had a... Uh, a freshwater fly. I had another one, a salmon fly, and then I had a bonefish fly. Mm. And so I had four of those, and people kept gravitating. And I did them on shirts, right? Mm -hmm. And that was just black with a little tiny bit of color in there, and that was all there was. There was no name, n nothing like that. And I started selling those shirts at the Sunset mm -hmm. in Key West. Cause it was an easy way to make yeah. a lot of money. <laughs> and, uh, so people kept picking that same shirt over and over mm -hmm. and over again. I went, okay. You know, Here we go. Yeah. I'll, that's I'll, that's going to go with it. <laughs> um, so I'd love to just do some rapid fire questions sure. and you can take as long as you want to with them, but these, uh, these don't necessarily have much connection to them <laughs> as far as flow goes. Do you have a favorite song to play? Um, I can tell you that I have a favorite artist to play along with. Okay. And that's Taj Mahal. Okay. Yeah. Is there a reason that you... you it's just got that funky New Orleans thing, you know, mm -hmm. the, that washboard. And I play, I also play mandolin and ukulele. And so, so, you know, I, I, I don't... I don't do that so much anymore. I don't even mm -hmm. do any music very much anymore mm -hmm. just because I don't have the opportunity to do it. You know, uh, I have a friend, Gove Scribner, that comes to town every once in a while. And every time he comes to St. Augustine, he invites me to sit in with him. And uh, so that's, I think that was the last time I played, you know, in front of a, in front of people mm -hmm. <laughs> instead of in front of my dogs. <laughs> yeah. Do you find, do you find it, uh, the performance piece of it, more enjoyable than oh yeah even. no yeah. i still enjoy that i mean that's something once you do that and and uh you know you you you're you're not intimidated by the crowd anymore mm -hmm. uh you know once once you're used to doing that it's pretty addictive you know mm -hmm. i could see why you know all these guys that have been doing it for you know 50 years 
mm-hmm. they still enjoy doing it because it's that crowd thing you know mm-hmm. it's that interaction between the people and i'll tell you what else it's just when you're when you're on stage and uh you're getting that feedback and but but the best part is being able to look at the other musicians and you know you're really doing something that's good mm-hmm. you know the music is good everybody's playing their part you're everybody's doing these different riffs and stuff and you look at each other and you think damn this is really good <laughs> <laughs> you know but you're doing that to each other and yeah. it's not it's not a spoken word mm-hmm. you know it's just that look you know you give to the other people that are on stage with you and think man this is really something special and it's a great feeling it, you, yeah. you don't get that anyplace else. <laughs> Do you have a favorite species of fish to target as an angler? Uh, now, probably permit fishing, just because it's the it's probably the most difficult challenge mm-hmm. uh, there is that I know of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people feel the same way. Is there a, a particular area, general area that you like to go to permit fish? Well, I mean, since, uh, you know, I'm one of the owners of the Black Fly Lodge in the mm-hmm. Bahamas, so we have great permit fishing there. Um, that's, you know, I have more of an opportunity to go there than any place else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was guiding in the Keys, uh, I, I don't know, it's, it's uh, hard to beat permit fishing in mm-hmm. the keys i know simon becker once said that the keys are so special for permit fishing because you can go to any flat and if you sit there long enough a permit's going to swim by yeah <laughs> and that's pretty pretty much the way that it is you know it's a perfect situation it's like we have at the lodges that we're surrounded by deep water mm-hmm. and so those those fish are not i mean they don't live in the shallow water they just come up there to eat and forage so uh so when you have that deep water you're surrounded by the deep water the fish come out of there and come up to eat and then go back into the deep water so so that's kind of the scenario the 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 larger the flat the more extensive the flats are you'll never hardly ever see permit up on Mm -hmm. up on a middle of a large large flat because they don't have any escape route the only time you'll see them do that when they get way back far where you don't usually see them is on a full moon tide or something like that mm-hmm. where they know there's a lot of water up there. Mm-hmm. And so, so I usually, uh, I usually like fishing for permit, um, uh, not necessarily on that, on a big tide like that because it feels the water gets deeper faster. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't have the best opportunities to mm-hmm. do it. Uh, and the lodge we target those permit that are on the backs of rays mm-hmm. and uh and i think there's a that's a better opportunity for success mm-hmm. than if you have a free swimmer that's just out there swimming you know i don't know what they're doing out there <laughs> they're just going from point a to point b uh but one time i was i wrote an article about permit fishing and it's never been published or anything but i graded the fishing the permit fishing opportunities like the easiest way to catch a permit is in deep water during the spawn mm-hmm. and you can throw anything there, there's ten thousand permits swimming around they're all over the place right you can throw anything out there and they'll eat it so i mean i've had i had the guys i took two guys out there one time they were beginning fly fishermen and within a couple of minutes they were both hooked up yeah. on fly rod well, you they'd never they had never fished before yeah. <laughs> for permit in their life you know and the most difficult one is a single permit up on the flats in shallow water mm-hmm. just by himself. That's the toughest. That's the toughest one. And, and how would you describe what makes it so tough to, to get them to cooperate? I, you know, when it does work, it seems like what in the world is so hard about this? You know, mm-hmm. but the rest of the time you're going, I hate those damn things. I know. <laughs> With... Um, over the years, you've had the opportunity to fish with a lot of different people in mm. a lot of different areas. All right. What would you say makes a great angler? I think if you, uh, yeah, it's a combination of experience. I think mm-hmm. once you, you kind of intuitively know what to do. But uh, I think my years as a guide uh, uh, taught me all the possible scenarios that you should look for, you know. Uh, when I was managing a lodge in Costa Rica, the guys were, they were so proud of themselves, you know, well, we catch these tarpon and everything. I said, mm-hmm. you guys got it easy here. You only got one fish to catch, mm-hmm. you know, where in the Keys, you do, you can't be a guide just knowing how to catch one fish. You know, you have to know how to catch everything. 
because you, know, you never know what the, what the day is going to give you. So one day you might go out and, you know, there's no bonefish around and your guy really wants to catch a bonefish. Well, what do you do? You know, so uh, I, I think be, be, having the experience and to, and to study, uh, uh, I think, is, I mean, if you can cast, you can cast. That's, that casting, right, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't have anything to do with it. You're either, you know, you can get better by practicing, right? Mm-hmm. But, the, but the knowledge of how to approach a fish and, and, and uh, you know, how to go about making, getting that fish to eat, because you're really just fooling, fooling the fish. That's, that's the whole game of fly fishing as far as I'm concerned. It's not what size rod you use or what, what uh, I get, well, you need to pick the right fly out. You know, well, let me say it like this. You need to pick a fly that they think they're going to eat. <laughs> mm-hmm. But once you fool the fish, mm-hmm. the rest of it's just busy work as far as I'm concerned. You know, I mean, you know, getting it in is, you know, no big deal. It doesn't matter. I'd like to release the fish as, as, as quickly as I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would never go bone fishing with a six-weight rod, which a lot of people think that's some kind of macho thing to do. Uh, but it's really not because you're just killing the fish because mm-hmm. you've tired the fish out on a six-weight. Yeah. You know, to the point where when you release the fish, he's going to get eaten by a shark or a barracuda, no question, because he's so tired that he can't escape the predator. So with art and with fishing, there's a lot of gear. There's a lot of tools. Yeah. Or at least it, it like seems going, like. It's like going to Home Depot. You know? <laughs> Ooh, I need this. <laughs> it's in for trouble. Yeah, you're in for trouble. So I was thinking about that, though, because that's I'm a, I'm younger. I'm newer to fly fishing. Um, I do dabble in some art. I do some mm. photography. I do do some painting. I like some stuff with music. I'm star- I just started learning the piano mm, about, about a, a week or two ago for fun. Um but it, it can be frustrating because there's so much gear, there's so much to learn, there's so much money to be spent. Mm. As you have progressed as an artist and you've gone into a new category of art where now you got to learn all these new tools and, you know, new styles or with fishing, you know, you're, whatever it is that you're starting, how do you try to think through, okay, what's most important and how do I sequence like the, the progression of get, like accumulating the stuff and learning how to use it? Do you have any thoughts there? You know, it's kind of like um, it's like getting a computer, and you think, "Oh, I'm just going to learn everything about this." Well, you're not. You know, you're just going to learn what you need. And uh, I I was working on a painting last year. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever tried to paint a duck or birds. And uh, in my studio, I have uh, jars and cans and stuff with. I don't know how many brushes I own, uh, hundreds probably. And each of those brushes has a particular purpose. You know, the type of stroke or how much the bristles need to bend or, you know, is it is it a is it like a spackling type design or is it a free-flowing smooth thing like you would use to paint water? And I realized out of all the brushes I had, I didn't really have one that would that would do what I wanted it to do. So I'm off to the art supply store, you know, mm-hmm. thinking, oh, this is great. I get to buy a whole bunch of new brushes. You know? mm-hmm. uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, you collect the tools you need for the project that you have to accomplish. So, and I think fly fishing is the same way. And I tell people when they're here in the, in the Black Fly Outfitter store uh, that, uh, you know, if you if you're just getting started you want a rod that has a little more flex in it i think as you get more proficient i think people tend to go to a little faster action rods just because and uh, but a beginner has a hard time feeling that rod uh, uh load up having the line load up it's hard to tell so you really it kind of messes up your stroke so i t- i always tell people look get this get this rod uh, this is a good starter rod and eventually you'll get another rod because you want to catch bigger fish or smaller fish, whatever. So you'll you'll have a, a rod for that. And then you take your original rod and you save that. And that'll be, you know, a rod that you own that has a certain purpose. And uh, so then you want to go tarpon fishing. Well, you need an 11 or 12 weight rod. Mm-hmm. You need a reel to go with it and everything. And uh, what you don't want to do is think that you're going on a fishing trip and you're going to switch rods and reels. Because you're not, <laughs> mm-hmm. so 
you get another rod mm -hmm. <laughs> and you get a reel to go with it. So if you're switching from a seven weight to a nine weight, you don't want to have to mess around with, you know, you just mm -hmm. want to grab the rod, and, yep. you know, out of the Be ready the to boat. go. Yeah, yeah. So I think the biggest thing, uh, the, the best example of that is fishing at Blackfly Lodge um, that, uh, you know, you're, you're, uh, you want to fish for permit, but you want to fish for bonefish. So you select a, a very stiff nine weight or a 10 weight rod for the permit, but you don't want to catch bonefish on that, right? So you need an, a, a seven, eight or a nine, depending on your preference, you know? So there's two rods right there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, no matter what, you got two rods. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you need, and then you need, you know, you need some fly tying material and you need a vice and you need a fly, mm -hmm. a box to put those in and yep. you need in, right. and you, you need, somebody needs to write the book on how to, uh, have these conversations with your wife as you go through right. all the <laughs> you, you've heard You've heard that joke about, you know, I hope when I die, my wife doesn't sell this stuff for what I told her I paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't heard that. But in, to, in today's world, it's becoming increasingly harder for that joke to be true. Yeah. Um, as somebody who's involved in multiple dimensions of the outdoor industry, mm -hmm. the art side, the Abaco Lodge side, you know, the, the lodging, the Blackfly Lodge down there, um, all different aspects of the industry. What are some things that you're hopeful for with the next generation of fishermen and outdoorsmen? And what are some things that you're concerned about? Uh, you know, you always hope that people would respect, um, uh, would respect the environment and the, you know, the area that they're, that they're, uh, find themselves involved in. Um, I think looking forward to you just you know want to have just p p people come into the, come into that whatever that endeavor is and, mm -hmm. and respect it you know um, the uh, I, I remember in the in the Keys when I was there that uh, you would have people that would come there the new guys you know they might they're in maybe Montana for you know the summer and then they come to the Keys in the winter and they don't have any. Uh, it's their first time and they don't know what they're doing well when when i first started guiding in the keys i had a mentor mm -hmm. and i fished with that mentor and we talked on the phone every night and, and i learned how you know how close can you get to a boat without somebody you know throwing something at you mm -hmm. uh, so i think that mentorship is the thing that's lost mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know with the internet and youtube and everything uh, it's like oh i'll just you know, I'll learn everything on here, and then now I'm a fishing guide, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably one of the things I think that's been lost, and and it was a detriment to, you know, I, I, I was in the Marquesas one day down in, you know, west of Key West, and, uh, uh, and this guy came, you know, tearing across the middle of the Marquesas to get to the other side. I saw him at the dock. I said, what'd you do that for? He said, well, there aren't any fish in the middle there. I said, well, there aren't now, <laughs> you know, I mean, just not knowing, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and I don't think it was anything malicious, but the guy just didn't know. Mm -hmm. He'd never fished it. Nobody had ever told him, he, you know, was just totally unaware of what he had done mm -hmm. because, you know, it looked like there were no fish, <laughs> yeah. you know, in the middle of the thing. So he just burned the whole flat. What do you find yourself most uh hopeful for as you look forward well i think that it continues in an intelligent manner mm -hmm. just to see the progression from yeah. the 70s and the keys and yeah you know and I, th I actually think the fishing is better in a lot of cases uh um you know it's gone through ups and downs you know i mean in the keys uh, when i first got there uh, nobody ever went to the Marquesas because you didn't need to. I mean, there's plenty of fish, you know, around Key West. You just, I mean, mm -hmm. you went to the Marquesas just to kill time, you know, because it takes, you know, an hour, 45 minutes or an hour to get there, mm -hmm. and then another 45 minutes or an hour to get back. So that's, you know, two hours you didn't have to pull. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's the way some guys looked at it, Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, uh, So if you were able to go back in time mm -hmm. and tell yourself something, you're a high school kid, you're about to go off to the military, go to USF, go down to the Keys, what would you tell yourself? 
boy, that's a tough one there. I had such a good time. <laughs> I had such a good time in the Keys. I mean, you know, that, that was a great, I was so lucky to be in the Keys at that time uh, with all the other artists and the writers and Tom McGuane, Jimmy Buffett, and Dan Gerber and Jim Harrison and, you know, all those guys, uh, uh, all, the, all the artists and everybody. It was like, uh, I don't know, it, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't ever want to get away from that for not having done it. So what would I tell myself is, uh, you know, enjoy it. <laughs> you know, take advantage of uh, all the opportunities and keep your eyes open for opportunity. I, there was, I forgot, one of the football guys was saying, uh, he said, if, you know, if, if opportunity comes knocking, get your ass up off the couch and open the door. <laughs> Is that you why know? you think most people miss a lot of opportunities, just laziness or? I think so. I mean, I, I think you had, there has to be a certain amount of awareness um, uh, so, that, so that you're open to things. You know, I think a lot of people are closed-minded about everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they just miss opportunities just because, you know, they're not aware of when an opportunity comes their way. Mm-hmm. So last two questions. Uh-huh. One is, when it's all said and done, what are you hoping that the Black Fly slash Von Cochran legacy can be? Uh, well, I've, I've, I've thought about something like that. The, I, I figured out what I wanted to have on my tombstone was I was just getting the hang of it. <laughs> 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 I, I told I told my wife I was going to put on my tombstone. I thought that would be easier. <laughs> <laughs> Same philosophy. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's what I jokingly tell myself. Pretty much everybody that works with me always jokes that I always think stuff's going to be a lot easier. To yeah, do. Well, well, I think we're all guilty of that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this is the last one. I think this would this would be fun. So I often ask people. I stole this question from Tim Ferriss, who has a podcast where he just interviews different people. But mm-hmm. if people could put one phrase on the billboard, what would they put? But if you could put one image, piece of art, depiction up on a billboard for everyone to see, they have to see this billboard every day on their way to work mm-hmm. or on the way to the water. Mm-hmm. What would it be? I, th- I think it would be the Black Fly logo. I really <laughs> yeah. do. And I, I, uh, I, I kind of joke with people and said, we're, well, we're, we're taking over the world one black fly sticker at a time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I think it represents, it certainly represents me, uh, I, but I think it represents just certainly saltwater mm-hmm. fly fishing, if not fishing in general. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, have, I get pictures from all over the world of of uh, somebody that found a black fly license plate on a Bentley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I said, Vaughn, is that you? <laughs> I get people, uh, I get photos of people that have used the black fly as a tattoo. Uh-huh. And uh, most everybody calls me up sometimes, even in the middle of the night, saying, hey, can I use your you know, logo for your t- yeah. tattoo? I get, listen, if you're willing to put my company logo on your body yes you can do that yeah <laughs> so uh, but yeah i think that would that would represent more than just me though i think it just represents the lifestyle mm-hmm. and you know the outdoors and fishing and you know just that just that whole conservation minded mm-hmm. fishing camaraderie type thing so that that would be it I really appreciate the time today. I'm grateful for everything that you've done for the fishing industry, and it's been a lot of fun to hang out with you today. Thank you. I hope to still be contributing for a while yet. Hey, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation and that you'll continue to support the podcast by spreading the word to those that you know. We have some great podcasts coming up, and we hope that you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Captain's Collective podcast. 
Before we dive in, I just wanted to let you know about one of our sponsors, Nikon. Nikon is a trusted company when it comes to optics, and they make a wide range of products for the outdoors. From cameras to binoculars to hunting scopes, Nikon has earned a reputation for building great gear. What you might not know about Nikon is that Nikon engineers their products from the inside out and creates an optical system specific to the function of each product. And because Nikon is one of the few makers of optical glass, they have the unique advantage to specify the exact type of glass needed to optimize the performance of their product. For the water, I recommend the Ocean Pro series. They are powerful, fog resistant, feature a built-in compass display, and have a large exit pupil that makes holding steady in rough water easier. And like all Nikon products, they come with a lifetime guarantee. So make sure to check them out and give yourself the advantage. <laughs> 